8, 15 um, through 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our, with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Father God, today we come to you recognizing that we have been adopted into your family. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for not just his example, um, but his sacrifice that you may look at us and see him and that we may be heirs to your kingdom. Today, as we look at your scripture, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe? Would you be with Colby as he brings your word? And would you be with us that we may become the people you've called us to be? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Michael. Well, good morning. Happy Sunday. Happy Father's Day. My name's Kobe Wilbanks. I am one of the elders here at the Grove Church. It is my joy, my pleasure to be with us today as we work through our summer series on the Holy Spirit, specifically today talking about the spirit of adoption in honor of Father's Day. I've worn my dad's shoes today. And I want to start with a riddle. Okay, this is an old riddle, pretty famous. So if you heard it and you know the answer, keep to yourself. Let some people around you uh, work through this riddle as well. Eddie Crusoe, be comforted. This is not the riddle about the land of the green glass door. Okay, this is a different riddle. Some of you at the men's retreat know about that there. Uh, but here we go. Here's your riddle for you as we get started. What goes on four legs in the morning, two legs in the afternoon, and three legs in the evening? Goes on four legs in the morning, two legs in the afternoon, and three legs in the evening. Hmm. Anybody got any, 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 don't give me the answer. Oscar, you may actually know the answer. Yeah, okay, yeah. Anybody got any ideas? Let me hear them. This is audience response time. I know it's, it's quick. Nope, we had an idea and she held it back. That's fine. I'll let you think for just a second. I'm not going to give you the answer immediately because I want that like, wait a second, what? So we're, we're in uh, our summer series on Empowered, the Holy Spirit. We're looking at really, frankly, the part of the Trinity that, that we sometimes forget about, uh, at least in kind of the, the denominations and the, the faith traditions that, that I've grown up in. I know some of you have as well. We've looked at the spirit of power. We've looked at the spirit of life, of regeneration. We've looked at the spirit of tr truth. And today we've looked at, we're going to look at the spirit of adoption. Okay, anybody still have an answer for me on my riddle? I bought you some time. No, no, no. That's actually a riddle from Oedipus Rex, the play written by Sophocles. So it's ancient, literally ancient. Of course, yeah, Lance, I know you probably read that last week. Um, no, but the answer is man. Amy's, I see Amy shaking her head, yes. She's, so man, you think about it. In the early phase of man as a baby, walks around on four legs or crawls around on two arms and two legs, right? In the afternoon, most of life, we walk around 
two legs, and then in the evening, three legs with a K. I personally want four wheels, but we'll get to that in a little bit later. Um, but we tend to think of things in life in phases, much like the riddle. Um, we think of things in phases, phase one, phase two, phase three. Um, we will rock you. You know the song, We Will Rock You? I'm a music guy. I love music. Did you realize that the verses of We Will Rock You are in phases too? First verse, buddy, you're a what? Young man. There's some of you know it, and you're ashamed that you know it. The second verse, buddy, you're a young man. Buddy, you're a boy. Buddy, you're a young man. And then the third verse is, buddy, you're a old man. We think in terms of phases. It's in our music. It's in our riddles. It's in our life. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at our Romans chapter 8 passage. We're going to look at this in terms of phases. So here's your real quick outline for those of you who are like me and want to see structure. We were, we are, and we will be. We're going to look at, as Paul walks through the spirit of adoption, he looks at first what we were, who we are. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning is on who we are. The spirit of adoption, that means some things for us. And then we're going to spend some time on what we will be, kind of the future aspect of, of that. Okay, you with me? All right. Who we were, who we are, and who we will be. Let's start with Romans chapter 8. Read with me, if you will, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Did you catch it there? As Paul starts out looking at the spirits of slavery, he says you're not going to fall back into something. You're not going to fall back into where we were. So where were we? We were what? We were captives. I think it's important for us today to remember where we've come from. As believers, we need to remember we were captives. And there's two pieces to this being captive. What are we captive to? I want you to see two things. What were we captive to? In order to figure out what we're captive to, I want us to look at maybe what Paul has been saying in the book of Romans. It's not going to be on the screen, but I want you to listen to a couple verses from earlier in the book of Romans about what Paul's been talking about. He's been contrasting something with something else. I want you to catch that. First, chapter 6, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that, here it is, we would no longer be enslaved to sin. What were we captive to? Sin. One part sin. You see a little later on in chapter 6, verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So one part, we're captive. We are slaves to sin, right? That's one piece of it. But it keeps going. We were captive to sin in the flesh. Romans 7, Paul says this. It's kind of interesting. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law. But now we are released from the law, having died to which held us captive. There's two pieces at play here. There's sin, and then there's the law. Think about it. Without both pieces, it's not a big deal. If you don't have a law, can you have sin? No, Paul will say that the law is what makes me aware of sin. It's what defines sin, right? But if you don't have sin, and the law is there, it's not a big deal, right? Because you're not a sinner. But here's the impossible situation. We were captive. 
Do you see the impossibility here? The idea that by our nature, we are captive to sin. But God's got this law that sets an expectation. That expectation, can we meet it? No, because in our nature, we are what? It almost seems cyclical, right? Can we meet God's righteous standard? No. Why? Well, because we're sinners. Well, how do we, how do we show ourselves righteous? Well, we meet the law. But you can't do because we're sinners. You see how this works? An impossible situation. An impossible situation um, of where we were. When I think of impossible situations, I think of, I, I think, well, what comes to first mind is a, a work scenario. So I, for those of you who don't know, I'm, a, I'm one of the lay elders here at the church, which means I have a day job, okay? My day job happens to be working for, um, I'm a school lawyer, so I work for school districts. And occasionally what that means is I get to read custody orders. I know what you're thinking. Sounds thrilling and exciting. No. Um, but I want, just a couple weeks ago, we ran into this. What, this is an impossible situation. We had a child. We have a rule. When parents get upset at each other, you have separated parents, divorced parents, and they usually fight over what's going on at the school. So we have a rule. And that rule says a parent is a parent with parental rights unless a court tells me otherwise. So what that means is, if mom wants to come up to the school and take a child out of school, I go, well, parent, it's a parent with parental rights and gets to do that unless I got a court order that tells me otherwise, okay? We had the scenario where mom came up to the school, withdrew a kid. Dad was upset and didn't want to withdraw the kid. So the next week, um, dad enrolled the kid because it was his possession, so this is kind of the nightmare scenario. We got mom has two weeks and dad has two weeks. It was literally our nightmare scenario where during mom's two weeks of possession, she wanted the kid at another school. During dad's two weeks of possession, he unenrolled there, enrolled here. Back and forth, back and forth, an impossible scenario, right? There's no solution for that kid until what? One of those parents has a change of heart. Yo, that's... That's the same impossible situation we find ourselves in with sin. We were captive to sin. We are in this cycle, bounced around because we, our nature is sinful. And we don't have the ability to meet God's standard. We're stuck until we have a change of heart. Praise be to God that he gives us that change of heart. I want you to look with me. Um, that impossible standard. We are captives to the sin and flesh under the law, but the law can't save us. Look with me a little bit further down. Um, actually, back up. So we've got two passages today I want you to look at. We're in Romans 8 that we looked at, but I also want you to flip over to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to see the same pattern that Paul, Paul is using in both passages. So if you'll flip over to Galatians chapter 4, I want, you to, I want you to look for that same pattern. Remember, we were, we are, we will be. Galatians chapter 4, let's look at verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Reflecting sin and the law, the Jewish law for the Jews at that time. But, but, here's that kind of solution, right? But, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as son. I want you to see first, the very first thing we got to start with is we were. Where were we? We were in an impossible situation, our sinful nature. We were tied to that. God redeems us. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay, I think sometimes we take that for granted. But I want you to really think that impossible situation, you couldn't do it on your own. There's no possible way we can meet God's law. And yet, God chooses to his own initiative, come and redeem us. That's not the subject of today's talk, by the way. God's redemption. Because look at what God does. God not only pulls us out of an impossible situation, he redeems us. He literally pays our price. If we were to stop right there, we would have cause to celebrate. Amen? But look at what God does. This is the nature of God. I want you to see the nature of who God is. He doesn't just do the minimum. What does he do? He pulls us out, pays our price, redeems us, and then he adopts us as sons and daughters of God. We were enemies of God. And he pays our price, redeems us, and makes us part of the family. We were captives, y'all. We were enemies of God. And now we are adopted sons and daughters of the king. Hallelujah. Come on, y'all. Y'all got to wake up for me this morning. This is going to go long. All right. So here's the thing. When we start digging into what it means to be adopted sons and daughters of the king, there are some privileges that come with being part of God's family. There are privileges of being God's sons and daughters. So for the next couple of minutes, we're going to look at a number of privileges that we have as part of being uh, in God's family. Number one, God gives us a new identity and position. The very meaning of the word adoption, Greek word here means to place as a son. We know that the Jews at the time didn't really have an, uh, a, a legal adoption process. There were informal cases in, in the Jewish tradition and the Jewish world at the time, but they didn't have a formal process. The Romans, however, did. And the Roman process for adoption was much like the process for adoption today in that it was long, hard, difficult, and it was permanent. And so what we, what we can really discern that Paul's referencing is Paul's referencing that process. It's a process by which, under Roman law, we would proclaim someone who is not a natural son becomes in the place, in the position of a natural son. That natural son, his identity is now associated with a new family. It's associated with a new father. We now become our father's children. He becomes our father's. I, okay, I want you to see a picture. Um, some of you who know my story and my family, you know that God put my family together through adoption. Okay? So, it's a beautiful picture. I want you to know earthly or human adoption is a, is a beautiful picture of God's adoption for us. But I, I want to caution you. It's not always a complete picture. So today we're going to see a couple of of instances where that's not a complete picture. But first, I want you to see this picture. This first picture is the day my family met each other for the first time. It was February the 5th 
of 2013 where my biological child and my adopted children met each other. We met them for the first time. One of my favorite pictures in the whole world. Now, my kids will tell you, at least one of my kids will tell you, Dad, you were a little scary. Your eyeballs were, like, really big. And it was a little strange. Um, I want you to see this beautiful picture. That's the first picture, February 5th, 2013. There's a second picture that I want you to see. This was about eight months later. This was October the 21st of 2013. This is the day my family became my family. This is the day that kids who were not my natural children received the full privileges of being a Wilbanks, which really ain't all that exciting, frankly. Um, it's one of those disconnects between the picture of human adoption and godly adoption. But this, this is that pronouncement. This was that day. This was that day where as a dad, like, I now had a legal responsibility for the care and the provision of my children, okay? I want you to know, as a believer, like adoption, when the Spirit moves in you and draws you and you become a, a child of God, it's, it's a pronouncement. You have a new position. Like you are a child of God. Did you know this? In the Roman law, I told you that the adoption of a child was permanent. Like this is what's interesting. Um, you could disinherit a natural child under the Roman law, but you couldn't do that to an adoptive child. Y'all, this is permanent. Like you are a son and daughter of God. It's been pronounced. It's, you have that status of a child of God. Okay, and this is just the first point, all right? I want you to see we are adopted sons and daughters of God. He gave us a new identity and a new position. But here's the next part. Keep reading. Galatians 4, let's pick up in verse 6. And because you are sons, God sends the, or has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is one of those disconnects. When that gavel hit on October the 13th of 2013, um, we had a legal pronouncement, right? Family was now family. But it couldn't do anything to our hearts. And so one of the realities of human adoption is that um, you, you, there's a heart struggle. There are times where um, like I'm, there's a struggle. Are, are, you're not my real dad. Or, or um, feelings of, of competition between natural born, biological children and adopted children. There's, there's a whole struggle with attachment that's a very real part of adopted families, Okay. But what I want you to see is that in this spiritual picture of adoption, look at what God does. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is where this week, as I prepared, it, it floored me. God doesn't just pronounce you his child. He gives you the heart of his son. He, he gives you the heart of Jesus. So that sinful nature that we talked about earlier, where we were, right? He, he literally, we talked about this a couple of weeks, regeneration. He, he regenerates you and gives you a new heart so that you now have the heart of a son. 
You have the ability to obey. You have the ability to submit and to follow a father who cares. Oh, what a glorious privilege of sonship of our father. He pronounces us. He gives us a new position and a new identity. But he also gives us the heart of his son. Let's keep going. Did you catch the end of that? Gives us the heart of his son. So we can cry what? Abba, Father. You probably heard the term Abba. That's an intimate, personal term, right? That's, that's the way we would use daddy. That's, that's the name that, that denotes, man, that's, that's personal relationship. That's come crawl up in my lap. Um, this past week, got to hang out with my grandkids. Yes, I'm a grandfather, and it is glorious. Get to hold your grandkids. You walk in the room, and they come up to you like this. Uh, there ain't nothing better. There's nothing better than being that where, where they come up to you and they cry, some point they'll learn to say daddy or grandpa, or in my case, G-dubs. I don't know where that came from. That's what it is. We'll go with it. Um, when they say that, the name means something. Names are important. God gives us the position and the heart so we get to call him by that personal name. One of my favorite stories about names, that first picture we put up there, February the 5th, 2013, where we met our kids for the first time. Um, there's a little bit of an, uh, an awkwardness when that happens. Because it's like, at some point, we had a conversation with them, and we say, hey, look, y'all can call us whatever you want to call us. Call us what you're comfortable calling us. You can call me Kobe. You can call Sam. You can call me Mr. Kobe. Whatever you want to call us. And y'all, <laughs> one of my favorite memories of that day is Rory looks up, and he goes to the effect of, I don't know if he raised his hand or not, but in my mind, he raised his hand, and he goes, can I just call you mom and dad? Y'all, like there's something about being called dad that hits the heart. And here you have a holy God who says, hey, look, I've redeemed you. I've brought you in the position of sons, and I want you, I want you to have the personal relationship with me. Call me dad. I'm here. I'm, re I'm reliable. You can depend on me. There's a personal relationship there. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is what enables that personal relationship with us. Because we've been adopted, he sends the Spirit of his Son, crying, Abba, Father. I want you to flip back for me for just a second to Romans 8. Just keep your fingers. Romans 8, Galatians 4. Romans 8, 14 and 15, what we read. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There's something else, though, about that term, Abba, Father. It's not just a personal relationship, but number four next, the Spirit enables us to depend on our Father. There's something in that term, Abba, that is a dependence right? And then, then did you catch this about the Holy Spirit? You've received the spirit of adoption as sons, and then what? By whom we cry. The Holy Spirit is what enables us to cry out in dependence to our Father. Okay, that term Abba, it's a, it's a, it's, I told you it's a personal term. It's really only used three times in the New Testament, okay? 
You've got these two passages, Romans 8. You've got um, Galatians 3 and 4, end of 3 into 4. And then you have one other place in Scripture. You might know what that place is. Chris just read it, actually. He read from Mark 14 during communion. Mark 14, right? That was when Jesus, as his last, last time with his disciples, right? Remember where, where they went after they were in that upper room? They left and went to the garden, right? Mark chapter 14, verses 32. And they, Jesus and disciples, went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed. If it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, listen to what he says. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In Jesus' most desperate time, contemplating the death that is imminent, the separation from his Father on the cross, he cries out to God using the same intimate personal name of Abba. And that same God grants to us through his spirit the ability to do the same, to call, to cry out to him in our times of need. All right, there are many more privileges of adoption, okay? I'm gonna give you one more. Keep reading in Romans 8. There's an interesting little verse there. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoptions as son by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And then verse 16, curious little verse. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Look, I'm a practical dude, okay? Whenever I prepare something like this, in my mind, I'm like, what are the three things we're gonna walk away from here with? What's the challenge you're gonna have? How, what, what are the things you're going to do next week that's going to put into place the scripture we just read? But, but here's the thing. The spirit of adoption, we, we don't have a lot to do in that. We receive that. And this verse says that the spirit is actually who reminds us. He testifies. He bears witness to our own spirit that we're children of God. So how do you know if you're a child of God? Holy Spirit testifies and bears witness to you in your spirit. So, so what do we do with all this? We remember. I want, I want you to remember. I want you to be motivated to remember that you have the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption in you that enables you to cry out. You have the Holy Spirit that, that gives you uh, the confidence of knowing who you are and whose you are. The Spirit is what enables us to call out. See, that's the, that's the trickiness with that whole law part. We as humans, we as Americans, stereotypical American dad, I want to fix things, right? I'm like, oh, if I hear somebody complaining, I'm like, how can I fix this? All right, you got a dishwasher problem. You got this. I'm going to help. We're going to fix it, right? But here's the thing. 
when we, when we're, we receive the Spirit. Think, think about adoption, the process of adoption. Children, children don't have a ton of action in that. You're chosen. You're, you're picked out by the Holy Father. He selects you. He adopts you. He sends you the Spirit that enables you even to cry out to Him. You receive it. So I guess my challenge to us as we look through this, all these privileges of adoption, is that we remember that. So on Tuesday, when you're at your work, you got a frustrating coworker there, I want you to remember you, you have the Spirit of the Lord in you, that you're, you're a, a son of the King. You, you can put up with some momentary trouble. I want you to remember that God loves that guy too. God longs for that guy to be his son. Let's put you in that position. On Wednesday, when you're at the baseball diamond, I guess baseball season may be over with. If you're at the soccer field or sweating at the pool and you uh, run into that neighbor uh, who maybe it's not on the neighborhood challenge, but maybe it's the neighbor that you just, I don't know, maybe you've got neighbors. But I've got a neighbor that when I see, it's just not the most fun to talk to. Because usually I know that for the next three, four, five, 45 minutes, I'm going to be chatting about something, right? But when we're there, I want us to remember, and look, there was a price paid for me. I'm adopted, a child of the king. I was once captive, but now I'm, I'm, I'm in God's kingdom, and God loves that person and longs for them to be in his kingdom as well. I want you to remember that the Holy Spirit is what empowers you and enables you to live life on the Spirit, okay? Four or five privileges of adoption. There are more. There are more that we talk about, um, but there's those fives. Um, but let's finish. Remember we started at the very, very beginning. We were, we are, we will be, right? We were what? Captives. We're captives, sin and under the law. Impossible situation. Can't get out. God redeems us. He not only redeems us, he then adopts us as sons. We are, we were captives. We are Sons and daughters of God. Oh, and what privileges that brings us, right? Gives us the privilege of a new identity, a position. Gives us the heart of his son. Enables a personal relationship with him. Enables us to cry out to him in dependence. And he testifies to our own spirit that we are children of God. We were, we are, and we will be heirs. Now, to my English majors in the, in, the, in the room, I understand that that's still a we are. We are heirs. That's a status that we are given upon adoption as sons. But here's what I want you to remember. When we will be, heirs implies, heirs is a picture of what's to come. It's, it's that, that there's something else coming on its way, right? So we were captives. We are sons and daughters of God. We will be heirs. Look with me in Romans 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if we're children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. God's being an heir of God means there's more to come. So, so again, remember, we were in an apostle situation. God rescues us. You stop there. That's cause to celebrate. Even more so than that, he uh, adopts us as sons. And there's more. 
God, when we receive that glorious inheritance um, that he has coming for us, look what it says. This may not initially be something to get excited about, but look, look what it says. Provided we, what? Suffer with him. So when you become a Wilbanks, um, you, you get to put up with a lot of things. You get to put up with dad jokes, mainly. Um, literally, my brother at uh, family events, my brother, if, if there's a lull in a conversation, I'm not even talking about an 11-second, 12-second lull in conversation. I'm talking about a 0.5-second lull in conversation. My brother would pull out his phone, boop, put it on the table, roll to his uh, database of jokes. <laughs> you got one, too, I know. And, and begin to just toss them out there, right? Like, as a Wilbanks, part of the thing that mean, it means being a Wilbanks is you get to work through dad jokes. It's just part of it, right? So here's the thing. As sons and daughters of the king, we don't have to, well, maybe we do have to put up with our father's dad jokes. But look, he says, provided we suffer with him. We know that the nature of God is he suffers for those he cares for. Jesus came in the garden when he cried out to his father, Abba, Father, he knew he was called to suffer. We too, as children of the king, we don't get a pass. When we live like our father, we're going to receive some of the same things that he received. That's rejection. That means we're going to receive um, seasons of loneliness. That means we're going to receive uh, loss. On some degrees, that's a privilege of sonship, right? We get to suffer as he suffered. But as heirs, that's something to come. But um, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. Now, if you're paying attention, what's fascinating about this concept of adoption is it, it kind of pulls in all of these different phases. Remember, phases of salvation. In the beginning, there's justification. That means there's a pronouncement that you are now righteous in God's eyes. Similar to adoption. You got part of that in adoption. Pronouncement, right? Justification. You have sanctification, the process of being made new. When adoption, you've got God sending his son into our heart, giving us literally the heart of his son. We're being made new. Justification. Sanctification. You have adoption. You then have glorification. And this is the part that's coming. Now, look, we don't have time to unpack this. Um, nor do I have the expertise to unpack this to you, by the way. But I want you to read what Paul says a couple verses later about this glorification. Because I want you to see that it just gets better. Verse 18, skip down to the, well, actually the next verse, verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's be revealed. So everything we've just looked at, Redemption, saving from an impossible scenario, being pulled into the position of adoption as sin, all of that is not worth comparing what God has for us as sons. This suffering, it's worth it. It's worth it. As a child of God, look, we were captives. We are sons and daughters of God. We will be heirs. Heirs to a kingdom, to God's promise. The Bible is 
picture of God's promise to his people from all the way back in Genesis to Revelation. He's faithful to his promise. There's a, there's a tension in all this, and this is where I want us to close. There's a tension in all of this. That tension is that the Bible says these things, and they sound really good. But do our lives reflect them? We're, we're free from our sinful nature, but then yet we, we run to sin too often. We know it's impossible to be righteous under the law, but yet we still seek our, our Christian gold stars of, of being spiritually busy, serving here and doing this and doing that, thinking that that's going to gain us something with our Father. We know in our heads that we're children of God, but we live as if, look, we're, I, I alone am responsible for my own care and provision. We know we're a child of God, but yet we want to do it all ourselves. That sounds like a child, doesn't it? Do it all by myself. We know that as children of God. We do that. We know we've been given Jesus' spirit, right? But yeah, we still live as entitled, disobedient children. God calls us to do something. We look at that and we go, Meh, I'd rather not. We know the Holy Spirit enables us to run to our Abba in times of need. But more often than not, we try to like toughen up. We grab our bootstraps, whatever those are, try to pull ourselves up by ourselves. Now that or we run to something else. We run to ourselves. We run to some source of pleasure, some source of substance. We know we can depend on our Father, but yeah, we run to all different things except Him. Why is this? I think there's two, I think there's two things here to, to close out. Number one, um, Paul says earlier in, in Romans that that law of sin is waging a war against us. We're in a fight, y'all. We're in a fight for our souls. This idea of living by the Spirit versus living by the flesh, which Paul is working through in both Romans and Galatians. Like, that's a war. We're in a fight. And I think we would do well to remember, constantly remember. Remember in, in one of the other passages that we've looked at in this series, the Holy Spirit calls to mind the truths of God. And so I think we're in a battle. We need to remember who we are and whose we are in Christ. Number one, we're in a fight. Number two, we're not complete, right? We just talked about that sanctification piece. Um, there's a little bit further on, when you read a little bit further in Romans chapter 8, you get to this curious little verse. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Meaning like that's just the first part. Spirit's a guarantee. We just have the first part of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons. Hold up, Paul. Not 10 verses earlier, you told me we are adopted. And now you tell me a little bit later that we, we eagerly await the adoption of sons. It's this idea of already, not yet. We are saved, we are being saved. We are redeemed, we are being redeemed. We are adopted, we are being adopted. We are made new, we are being made new. You're not there yet. You're not perfect. You know your fathers weren't perfect. But yet we have a picture of a Holy Father who is making us new. So look, this week as we go forward, I want you to remember. That's all I want you to do. 
I want you to remember. I want you to remember who you were. I want you to remember that idea of being trapped in an impossible situation, trying to meet a God's meet God's standard, but not having the ability to do so. And then God sends you his spirit. God redeems you. He makes your heart new. He breathes literally new life into you, his Holy Spirit. And then he doesn't stop there. He adopts you, brings you in as son, all the privileges associated with being a son, the security of being a son, the position, the ability to cry out. I want you to remember those. I want you to remember that there's something better coming, y'all. And as you remember that, I pray that your battle living in the Spirit, that you gain ground in that battle through remembering who we were, who we are, who we will be. Will you all pray with me? God, your story, your gospel story, sometimes I take it for granted. Sometimes it's a a story that I've heard before. But God, I'm thankful that this week you've enabled me to, um, to see a newness in that, to see uh, a picture of your story in us that just further uh, shows your nature and your goodness. God, we are thankful that um, you're a picture of the perfect father. You long for us. You pursued us throughout that process of adoption. God, I pray that this week you would remind us of the privileges we enjoy as your sons, that we wouldn't fight against them, we wouldn't kick and scream against them, but we would just wholeheartedly, with the heart of your son, submit ourselves, run to you, cry to you, fall in your arms, and trust you to do with our lives what you may. God, we pray all this in your son's holy name. Amen.